chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the peoples and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them, those peoples, taunt him and ridicule Babylon, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. You have shed human blood, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, settling, setting its nest, his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drunk drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your, destruct and the des your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent before him. Let me pray. Father, in the silence, speak to us now. Guide our hearts to the hope we have at Christ's appearing. By your Holy Spirit, give us this sure and certain hope of the victory of Jesus Christ. Give to us this anchor for our souls. Amen. Today's message is simple. It is that we remember in the darkness what we've learnt in the light. In other words, to be ready for the difficult times by recalling what we learnt in simpler times. Maybe today is a simpler time. Maybe. By holding on to the gospel, the good news 
of the victory of Jesus Christ. Perhaps we could use the words of the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous person will live by God's faithfulness. The righteous person here, being Habakkuk initially, uh, but I believe in ultimately the righteous person is Jesus Christ and it's we who live in him. And so the Apostle Paul can say, the life I do still live now in the flesh, in my body, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So personal. Perhaps as personal as the Queen who said this, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that sometimes we need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. History teaches that. The Bible teaches that. But she said, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour, a redeemer, with the power to forgive. This is good news. It is my prayer, she said, that we might all find room in our lives for the love of God through Jesus Christ, our victor, our Lord. Perhaps all of this is another way of saying that we need to remember in the darkness, what we have learned in the light. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived in the dark, but was given a word of hope. And he was challenged to live in light of that hope, despite the brutality, the muck, the messiness, the darkness, all around him. And it was a dark time. He was challenged to live in light of God's coming justice and grace, to live now by his faithfulness. Habakkuk chapter 2, middle week in a three-week series, is a word about hope in a world of injustice and wickedness and power grabbing through the victory of God. And Habakkuk is told to express his faith by waiting patiently, and we are too. Habakkuk is a short but profound book. It's a word of prophecy in the form of a dialogue between the prophet and God, and we get to eavesdrop. In chapter 1, he says to God, what the Sam Hill is going on. So a tension is raised, a sobering tension in chapter 1, with a resolution in chapter 2, but it's a sobering resolution. Some of you won't like it. And then a sobering hymn of praise in chapter 3, that the fig tree does not blossom. and There are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails and the fields yield no fruit, no evidence, like temporal evidence of the blessing of God, I got none of that, and yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. That's next week. It is an ancient book. Here is a copy of Habakkuk found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The prophecy is 2,600 years old, almost three millennia. Note, this is not hot off the shelf at Dimmicks. You'll be pleased to know. This is ancient wisdom for modern times. Habakkuk's question in chapter one is, why do you tolerate evil, God? You don't have to, so why do you? Why do you appear silent with all the muck and evil in Judah at the time? Remember he said, how long, Lord, must I call for help? You don't listen or cry violence and you don't save. I want to do something and I can't. 
God, you can and you won't. We looked at the problem of evil last week. And God's answer in chapter 1 is strange. God says, and by the way, if you think, oh, God wouldn't do that, then, then you have a God of your imagination. It's one thing to wrestle with this. In fact, we're invited to wrestle with it. But to just simply say, this is not the God I want to believe in, and therefore the God that's actually there is a fantasy. What you hear is hard news. God says back to Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians. The suffering in Judah is a result of sin, of breaking my commands. And as I promised in the Torah and Deuteronomy, I will raise up another nation, the Babylonians, to just, justly judge you. There'll be an exile. There'll be blood shed. There'll be an exile, a strange path. Indeed, this is God's strange work. And it happened in history, 587 BC, Babylon, which is the ancient Iraqis, Chaldeans, moved in from the east, but via the north, Battle of Carchemish, 6605 BC, 597, Nebuchadnezzar nibbles the city and besages it, 587, he turns the uh, Jerusalem into a car parking lot, flattens it, destroying the temple, and then dragging the people of God into exile. This is God's strange work. He's judging sin justly. But after this, a victory over evil, which is the message of chapter 2. Remember the quote for the series, a Nigerian poet, when suffering knocks at your door, you say there's no seat for him, he tells you not to worry because he has brought his own stool. Suffering sitting there with you on his own stool, how do you respond? And I mean realistically. I don't mean like um, what you think you should do because, I don't know, you learned it in Sunday school. I mean, what's really going to go on with you and God, given the world you live in? Does he expect you just to lie down and take it? Last week we learned that we need to wrestle with God, fight with him. And today we learn to wait for God. And I get that from 2 verse 2. The Lord replied to Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make the revelation plain on tablets so that a herald may run with those tablets. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, a moment in the future. It speaks of the end of evil and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. Chapter 2 is a strange chapter and some of you might not have liked it when it was read to you, five woes on Babylon. But if I can summarise the chapter this way and just then draw some points from it. In uh, chapter one, Habakkuk is having an out with God, like uh, Forrest Gump on the top of the, uh, the uh, shrimp boat, boat vessel, facing the storm. Or in the Matrix, right? The end of Matrix, come get me. And Habakkuk is basically to God, come get me. So he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I'll stand, I'll wait, I'll see what God will say to me. What will God do? Will he swat him like a fly? This is insolence. Now, this is not, um, God, God doesn't do inshallah. You know, it's just the will, so, will of God, so suck it up. No, he answers Habakkuk. He says there will be an end to the injustice. Wait for it. It'll come. I'll bring it. In the meantime, be the righteous person. A contrast is made in verses 4 and 5 between the puffed one, the arrogant one, who's 
power, thirsty, and the righteous person who simply trusts God. And then 6 to 20, the bulk of the chapter, is five woes on Babylon, which is a resolution and a victory over evil. And it functions the same way that Jesus pronounces seven woes on the Pharisees. And there's something, a nice little twist there. God says, woe on the nations, and Jesus says, woe on the Pharisees, because all have sinned and forced out of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile will come to that. I'm going to leave that up for a few moments, because that's the chapter. But in the middle of the five woes, woe one, woe two, the end of three, before four and five, you get the vision of God for the future of the world. Chapter 2, verse 14, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in the same way that the waters cover the sea. In other words, 100%. The whole earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And at the end of the woes, a call to silence. Chapter 2, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple that all the earth be silent before him. The whole world held accountable to God, Romans 3 verse 20. Today's about waiting, it's about remembering in the darkness what we learnt in the light. I want to make two points today, I hope light in the end of the tunnel, light in the middle of the tunnel, that's on your outline, in your, in your news sheet there. But let me tell a story to make my point today, or to hang my points on. Before the light rail went in from um, central through the inner west, uh, well, the rail was all there, and there was a, the tunnels already existed as goods, goods tunnels. Uh, but for quite a number of years, the, the, uh, the rail, there was heavy rail, and, uh, and was unused. This is a picture of the tunnel that I remember when I was at university, and uh, a group of our friends used to walk through it. Um, these days, it's lit, lit up all the way through the tunnel. Obviously, it's a working tunnel now. It's a working tunnel then, by the way, which one of my friends found out, and it stopped the rest of us from going in there after he found out that the tunnel was used. Our frontal lobes formed fully in that moment. But back in the day, it was totally dark. It was bat dark. So my friends and I, our frontal lobes not fully formed, used to walk the tunnel in the dark when we were bored and living in Glebe. Maybe a kilometre or so. Kids don't try this at home, please. We would drag our feet along the rail in the dark to try to get a sense of where we were. There was a corner, corner in the tunnel. If you even look it on Google Maps, you'll see it sort of goes off to Jubilee Park. And in the bend in the corner, there was a little light. It was bright. Um, it got brighter as you got closer to the middle of the tunnel, the bend in the tunnel. But as soon as you pass the bend of the tunnel and that little light in the middle of the tunnel, then if you walked during the day, there was a flood of light at the end of the tunnel. And so today I want to say that there is light at the end of the tunnel, flooding light that all will see, but there's also light in the middle of the tunnel, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you've got your news sheet there, you can change point number two with a pen, Instead of saying light at the beginning of the tunnel, you can say light at the middle of the tunnel. That'll be clear in a moment. So wait, because there's hope for the globe. There's light at the end of the tunnel. We all want a better world. 
John Dixon once said, if you've ever wished for a better world, you have in some sense wished for the kingdom of God. And yet secular versions of the world getting better, I think, feel hollow. I think there's many ways in which the world is better. But there's also ways in which the world, to me, appears worse. A lot of people want the world to be better. If I can use the words of Bono, I think. They, what was it? Johnny Black. They want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. They want the kingdom of God, but not God in it. Habakkuk wanted God in the kingdom of God and for the kingdom to come. He wanted an end to Judah's sin and an end eventually to the Babylonian arrogance. And so he says, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and I'll station myself on the ramparts and I'll look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. And God says, write down the revelation, make the revelation plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Mark this, Habakkuk, a divine secretarial moment. Get the revelation out on tablets, herald runs with it, make it go viral, and I'm so glad it's viral because I have it in my hands today. What is the revelation, the thing revealed by God? Well, it's that there is an end to all evil. The revelation awaits an appointed time, a moment. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though that end linger, though it takes time, wait for it, it will certainly come and it will not delay. So the second thing to do when faced with problems and evil in the world is to wait for God. He will right wrongs. He is a just God. He loves the world. He made the world. He sees everything in the world. He holds the world to account. He has the power. And one day he will judge the world. The wrongs will not continue. And he will create a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more crying or mourning or pain or sadness. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This calls for patient endurance on behalf of the saints. This calls for us to remember in the darkness what we've learned in the light. But there's a waiting component. It's unavoidable. Though it linger, how long must it linger? Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. You might ask, well, how long? Well, that's the question they asked in the book of Revelation. Are people suffering? How long? And the answer was not long. Soon and very soon. And yet you say, really? But I promise you, the scriptures say it. Sin, all sin, will be dealt with, small and large, in one way or another, every sin must be handled by God. Either you face it on your own or Christ faces it for you because God cares about you and he cares about this world. He is holding back for a time. And in the meantime, in the darkness, in the muck, trust me, says God, Habakkuk may be blind for a time and really blind for years after this prophecy. But God says to him, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Trust me. So that verse, by the way, so important for Romans, so important for the book of Hebrews. Trust me to deal with the sin in Judah in my way, in my strange way. And we are called to the same patient faith. In the book of Revelation is a prophecy about the end of Babylon, which doesn't exist by the time of Revelation. So it becomes a metaphor for all evil and all power opposed to God. And in the meantime, there's people suffering for being Christian. The book of Revelation says, if someone is to go into captivity, into captivity she will go. 
If someone is to be killed by the sword, with the sword he'll be killed. This calls for patient endurance on behalf of the saints. In Romans 5, suffering produces character, character perseverance, and perseverance hope. It proves the genuineness of your faith. And in Romans 8, Paul can say, I face death all day long, and yet I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. God uses all things, all things, to make me more like Jesus Christ. And that's the goal. And it may take time, though it linger, wait for it. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. You just misunderstood slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, and maybe even someone here tonight. Amen? God will right the wrongs. That's what's being said here and throughout the entire scripture. That's why I find when people say the, the problem of evil, like the silence of God is a, is a reason to dismiss faith, the faith of Christianity, the whole Bible from beginning to end is a narrative asking this one question, will God right the wrongs? Will there be a victory over injustice and evil? Here in the text says, woe upon woe on Babylon for her sins. And each time, it's basically as you treated others, you'll receive the same treatment from God. The first woe is a judgment on those who steal. The second on those who build a house with injustice. The third on those who build a city with bloodshed. Does Vladimir Putin really think he's going to get away with it? Even if uh, forces pushed him back, he'll still meet God, who sees everything. In verses 15 to 17, which I'll read to you in a moment's time, judgment on those who ply others with alcohol. This is about Babylon. But gosh, 2 verses 15 to 17 is so profound because isn't that the way abusers act? I'm just, I'm just aware that this is potentially difficult to hear, but to ply someone with alcohol in order to mistreat them, to abuse them, is as old as Babylon. The question is, does God see it? Will he act? In verses 18 to 20, the fifth judgment is a judgment on those who worship idols, who say to stone, come, come to life. Look at 2 verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies, so he can take advantage of the vulnerable. Verse 16, you will be filled, Babylon, with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. This is not karma. This is judgment. There is a cup of judgment and Babylon must drink it. The king of Babylon cannot say, take this cup from me. They deserve it by the way they've mistreated others. But the evil will stop, for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I know some of you battle to believe this. You struggle. Because you see the world go on as it does. And you see the bully at work get away with it. You see the abuse continue. But I promise you there is a future for the world. We're told to wait. God will right wrongs. Acts 17, Paul says, For God has set a day, an appointed time, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, 
and he has given proof to everyone by raising that one man from the dead. We believe he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, read between our first two songs, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits at his resurrection, then when he comes at his appearing, those who belong to him. Do you belong to him? Then the end will come, the appointed time, when Jesus hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, or Babylon's. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, but the enemy really isn't ancient Iraq. They were only ever a symbol of what really is the enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed, writes Paul, is death itself. We need to remember in the darkness what we learnt in the light. There's hope for the world. There's also hope for the individual. There's light in the middle of the tunnel. Remember my tunnel, my bend, there in the bend, darkness until you see a strong light, not as strong as the end one, which everybody will see, but a light in the middle that not everybody sees. That light shines bright, but there's more to come. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus is that light. He is the light in the middle of history. You see, you could ask the question, what about my sin? It's one thing to say that Babylon is arrogant, to point the finger there. But what about me? Habakkuk's news is good news. In fact, Habakkuk's news reaches forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ in this way. Habakkuk is told by God, you think I'm doing nothing about sin, I am. I will use the Babylonian army to bring judgment on Jerusalem. I'll do something to you horrible to show Judah just how seriously I take sin, as promised in the Torah, and I take sin seriously. The wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 3. God, this is my strange way of doing things, dealing with sin by the shedding of blood and by the exile of my people. But wait, for you will see why this strange way is the only way Martin Luther called Jesus' atoning death upon the cross, God's strange work. Bloodshed and an exile of the Son from the Father. The death of Jesus is God's, God dealing with sin in the strangest of ways, not the Babylonians sweeping from the north to decimate Judah, but Jerusalem decimating her own Messiah for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Jew and Gentile. That's Paul's argument in Romans. But this is God's strange work. And like raising the Babylonians, the cross of Jesus might sound profoundly silly to some of us. But the cross of Jesus is God's way of telling Judah and indeed the world two things that are true at the same time. One, he hates sin, and two, he loves you besides. Jesus drank the cup reserved for Babylon. He drank the cup of judgment for you and for me and for our redemption. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously wrote, and here's a person who knew about suffering in the gulags, the Soviet gulags. 
He said, if only we could just find all the bad people, which is not us, and put them in camps. You see, <laughs> send them away from us. You see, that's, that's the problem. Salted, this is new. That was the problem. That was the problem in the Soviet Empire. Solzhenitsyn, a Christian, said this, the dividing line between good and evil cuts through every human heart, yours included. English writer G.K. Chesterton was asked by Time magazine, what's the problem with the world? He could have said education, ignorance, racism. He said, dear sir, I am. I'm the sinner. I'm the problem. I'm the one that deserves to die, but Christ took my he died the death that I deserved. In the words of Salman Rushdie, the barbarians were not only at our gates, but in our skins. But God didn't leave it there in judgment. He took me to the tomb justly in an exile. And on Easter day, he came out of that tomb alive, brought me with him in hope. Jesus, therefore, is the light in the middle of the tunnel. God didn't leave the Babylonians to rule. He defeated them some 70 years after this prophecy, 540 BC. God used Cyrus the Persian, Cyrus the Great, to end the exile for the people of God and to begin what you might call their resurrection from the dead. Jesus drinks the cup reserved for arrogant sinners, stubborn people like you and me, who are hungry but not trusting. He didn't leave death to win, but he rose again to defeat death he is our victor, and therefore the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord eventually as the waters cover the sea. The cross of Jesus Christ is God unraveling the prophet's confusion. The cross is God taking my sin and removing it from me as far as east is from the west. It is God taking the wrath for my sins deserve and burning it up there in the tomb it's God facing a hell, so I don't have to. His bloodshed gives me life. His exile from the Father draws me to God. He drank the cup of wrath so that I can say with confidence each morning and each day, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Amen. Elizabeth said this, God sent into the world a unique person neither a philosopher to give us all sorts of wonderful thoughts that titillate our mind, or a general with, with a tank, neither philosopher nor a general, important as though they are, but a saviour, God sent, a redeemer, with the power to forgive. The Lord is in his holy temple, that the whole earth be silent before him. But I'm in the tunnel. <laughs> Still, I live in a world of injustice and muck and bullying, power grabs. What do I do? Well, in chapter 2, verse 4, you're told the righteous person will live by God's faithfulness. Trust God. He is faithful. But chapter 2, verse 4 has a contrast. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. He's drunk with power and can't be satisfied. You are being invited in these verses to not be like Babylon, building towers to the heavens in pride, not yielding to God, taking and taking and taking so that others pay the price for your happiness. No, you are being invited to be like the righteous person 
you are being invited to be like Jesus Christ, who lives by his Father's faithfulness. You are being invited to trust God and to humbly live in the way of Jesus. Two, remember in the darkness what we learnt in the light. The writer of Hebrews says as much, after the light came, they suffered. 10 verse 32, remember those early days after you received the light in the middle of the tunnel when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. You aren't at the end. You have had light in the middle. You had a better, a more lasting hope. So you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for Habakkuk. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, and but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But, says the writer, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed like Babylon, but to those who have faith and are saved, redeemed. So what do you do? You stand your ground like Habakkuk. You stand your ground like Jesus Christ and in the power of Jesus Christ. What kind of realistic faith can I have in a world of suffering and pain and injustice? Well, you've got it right here. Chapter 1, suffer and wrestle. Pray. Don't hide it. Don't grumble in your tents and wait. Hold on. Endure. Jesus said, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we believe that Jesus came in great humility, but he will return in glorious majesty. And in his great humility, he lived the life we should have lived, the way he loved, the way he leaned in, the way he showed compassion, the way he confronted, the way he trusted you and indeed went to the cross as a slave, obedient to death, even death on a cross. But you have exalted him to the highest place. He is now the king over all. There is no Babylon, no one despot, no one boss, no bully, who will in the end not bow their knee before Jesus Christ and receive what is due to them for their sins. But we belong to Jesus Christ. We delight in his atoning sacrifice for our sins. We here now repent and put our trust in him. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We want this. So we pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen.